0: You wanna count it down? Three, two, <laughs> all right. before creation breathed its first breath, and all there was to be was not yet. You were seated there on your throne, high in glory, yes, God
1: alone. You're the one I worship and adore. Every moment leaves me wanting more. In your presence I am overcome. Sing your praise at the top of my heart. We'll sing forever.
0: Welcome to Carpenter's Way. If you're visiting with us, you're more than welcome. Uh, we love to see you. Uh, If you're here in the room, if you want to stand, you can stand and worship with us. If not, you can uh, stay seated. If you're joining online, uh, we say every week, just don't be a spectator. Uh, Join in with us wherever you are. uh, Back porch, living room, on the boat, wherever you're at. Join in with us this morning. I want to grow, grow, grow into all that you
1: have for me And show, show, show how your love has set me free And go, go, go tell the world so they can see You're amazing you're never gonna let me go shout it out you are my god shout it out my savior has set me free not to us but for your glory again again shout it out oh shout it out you're never gonna let me go shout it out you are my god shout it out my savior has not to us but for your glory I wanna grow, grow, grow into all that you have for me. Show, show, show how your love has set me free. Go, 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 tell the world so they can see through a fair Shout it out, I want the world to see Shout it out, you have changed me Shout it out, my lips will forever sing But not to us but for you do all that you have for me show 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 how your love has set me free go 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 tell the world they can see you're amazing yeah you're amazing i'm not ashamed I'm not ashamed to shout your name I'm not ashamed
0: awesome doing your motions. It's nothing like seeing grown people do motions as songs. So good. <laughs> you guys need to come up next time and look out and watch. It's so good. It's so good. Uh, pray with me this morning. God, we thank you so much. God, we thank you that you've done everything that needs to be done. God, I know we struggle that. We struggle with that as the human, the flesh side of us. We struggle with the fact that God, you've taken care of everything. God, you've done it all. And that we get to rest in that, Lord. And I just ask, God, as, as we go through this season of, of COVID breaking out again and people in and out of hospitals and struggling and everything that's going on, God, I ask, Lord, that that would be our focus, God, that you would just continue to bring us back to this life is fleeting, Lord. We don't know what tomorrow holds. We don't know if we have next week. But God, we know that we are good in your sight. We know, Lord, that we stand secure, righteous, and redeemed because of what you have done because of who you are, Lord. And I just ask, Lord, as we sing through the rest of these songs, Lord, that you just remind us of that, Lord. Remind us of your goodness, your mercy, your grace, the fact that you adopt us and draw us to yourself. Amen. Amen.
2: All it takes is a moment. All it takes is a word. To bring light to the dark and give life to this heart. You are hope, you are peace to my soul. You're the one who sustains me. You're the voice speaking truth. I could search all the earth to find something of worth, but all that I need
3: Promise from scripture along with me God saved you by his grace when you believed and you can't take credit for this it is a gift from God salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done so none of us can boast about it for we are God's masterpiece he has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago.
1: The God who's yet to come, we remember how you say we recall the lost were found. You were present yesterday. again, Lord, you are faithful, you're not finished yet, there's more to come, and we'll keep pressing on, and this will be our song, and we will not forget, through the valleys up the mountains we have climbed, and over oh, giants we have won all with Jesus by our side, so whatever comes out. you started yesterday Your love, we will overcome. Oh, by the power of your blood, by the story of your love, we will overcome. Yeah, yeah. By the power of your blood, by the story of your love, we will. By the power of your blood By the story of your love We will overcome And we will not forget, Lord You are faithful You're not finished yet There's more to come And we'll keep pressing on And this will be our story Yeah Of your blood, by the story of your love, we will overcome. Oh, by the power of your blood, by the story of your love, we will overcome. Oh, by the power of your blood. By the story of your love, we will overcome Oh, by the power of your blood, by the story of your love, we will overcome. We will overcome. Yes, we will overcome. again Lord you are faithful you're not finished yet there's more to come and we'll keep pressing on and this will be our song and we presence of our God welcomed here as worthy because of the cross now we cannot walk Is where we want to stay Singing blessing and honor Glory and power Forever to our God He has wiped away the stain of All our sin and shame down on his throat to come
4: Buddy, It is so great to get together in all the chaos and remember that God's still on the throne, isn't it? And I know that there's a lot of you at home uh, watching online because you're not well. We've got a lot of folks with COVID and uh, it's scary, isn't it? But I'll tell you what, we are here to be reminded that our mission is still on the same. And God is faithful and uh, he's not going to take us home until our task is done. Uh, And we, you know what, our task isn't just individualistic, it's together, and uh, it is, believe it or not, it is almost October. I know, isn't that weird? Come on up, Chastity. That means that we are getting closer to Operation Christmas Child, and uh, I've, before Chastity shares, I'll give you the mic, before she starts, she runs it for us every year here, we are the regional hub, I'm sure you're going to talk about that, but I just want to say that I have had the privilege, as you know, of going Uh, to the distribution of of Operation Christmas Child gifts to the children. And i got to tell you, unapologetically, the gospel is presented, which is the most important thing that we can give to people. And so we as a church have been involved with this for like nine years or something like that, or maybe it's more than that. It's been like 50 years, and it's been a long time, and it is one of our best best ministry opportunities. And so as we move towards that, uh, we want to encourage you to start thinking and planning and praying. But with that, I'm going to turn it over to Chastity to talk about Operation Christmas Child.
3: Good morning. Good morning. I just um, want to come up this morning and tell you we are 10 weeks away, 10 weeks away from our collection week. That's a big week for our church. It's a big week for the staff and the volunteers that come up. And so this year, um, well, Mark talked about the distribution of the boxes, he's been on those trips. Wouldn't you say that one of the most exciting parts of the trip is the countdown? Yes. So the countdown, so every time they, they, they pass out all the boxes to the kids, is this how it goes? And the kids sit there and they do a countdown and when they get to to one then they all get to open their boxes at the same time so well this year for as a church we're going to do a countdown yes so this is 10 and this week our assignment is get your boxes so we're going to every week we'll have a different thing to do that relates to operation christmas child um so we have these uh, cardboard boxes out front at our missions table, the table that's got the big map out over it. um, So y'all can pick up a box on the way out if you wanna go ahead and start that. Also, go to Hobby Lobby. They've got these boxes out, these nice plastic boxes that last longer for the kids. They don't even have to be the Operation Christmas Child box. They could be any plastic shoe box. Try to keep them about this size. Um, That helps us when we're packing them in the cartons to send them and ship them out to the next destination. So this week, our assignment is Get your shoeboxes together. Um, if you all will, if Mark talks about every week, if you're signed up for the emails and um, the the digital bulletin, or what was that? What it's called? Uh, yes. So, um, Wendy's going to put put a reminder every week. Uh, this week it already had number ten, and get your shoeboxes. So, uh, if you haven't signed up for that, go to the table and sign up for the the emails. Um, and every week we're going to be um, promoting and doing different things to encourage everyone to participate. Uh, If you want to participate as a Bible study class, as a family, as individuals. If you're interested in packing parties, I can get you information on that. We can do all the things here. Just let me know, and I'll be more than happy to get you more information for that.
4: Perfect. Thank you, Chastity. We are so blessed. Uh, For those of you who are new to Carpenter's Way, uh, Carpenter's Way is very mission-minded internationally, and we have such a wonderful mission investment team. Uh, They basically oversee a significant portion of our budget that goes towards mission work internationally. Chastity is a part of that. Chastity and Jeremy have been uh, full-time missionaries before. It's kind of crazy, but we actually have missionaries that are able, that are working remotely in our church now. Josh and Allie Ferguson are actually working in our facility uh, with Crew uh, International. Uh, Most of you know it as Campus Crusade for Christ. And it is such a privilege to do these. We've got uh, people who work in prisons. We've got uh, (laughs) Seasons of Hope. We've got the Mosaic Center. So local ministries, international ministries, and uh, that is such a creative idea. I, I know you had mentioned this to me, but each week a different thing, so it will make it cheaper. It'll become part of your grocery budget. But those uh, those plastic boxes she's talking about, the kids get to keep those. It's like an additional gift. So if you can afford, what are the couple bucks or something? Or you can get, I think you can get about that size at Walmart for a dollar. But it is such a nice addition to what you pack and different things like that. And as you begin planning and thinking, I want to remind you, you can't send I don't know, fireworks, uh, combustible items, no tobacco or alcohol. For those of you who are too, li- too free, uh, I just want to make it clear. So you've got to be thoughtful with all of that. But each week we'll do a different one and have some countdown videos and stuff. But this is such a significant part of what we do every year. So please, please plan to participate this year. We'd, we'd like. Uh, this is a, so, what is it? it is, all it is is a tool by which Samaritan's Purse is able to present the gospel to these children these kids get their gifts and then the gospel is presented and then they're invited to 11 weeks of discipleship after and their families are invited it's called uh the greatest journey and it is so good you guys it is the gospel it's scripture it this is not just a christianese thing this is this is a well-planned and well-organized machine and we're part of that we are the regional hub so throughout, I don't know if it's, I I think it's about 50 miles in every direction. Churches that collect, communities that collect, actually on one Monday, the Monday before Thanksgiving, they bring their boxes here and and we put them on uh, semi-trucks and they get sent out from here. So uh, anyway, and again, it's another weird year. We did it last year and with COVID, and COVID is amping up again right now. A lot of sick people, so there are folks who are watching online and watching at home, and I, I understand that. You need to be very, very careful. Um, so uh, as we get closer to that, if you're able, we'll need you to help us load the truck and man that week, but we'll be talking about that soon. But this is like our biggest mission thing of the year that we do, so be, uh, be involved in that, and you've got your homework now. So um, I, I do want to do a couple other announcements um, before I get into our text. First of all, I want to say our new members class, as you, as you know, that for the next, uh, until the first Sunday in October, that's October 3rd, uh, we had a lot of our leaders in our children's ministry, and I mean our, our leader leaders, got sick with COVID or have children with COVID. So the staff and elders uh, talked, and and we've shut down our children's ministry above preschool until the first Sunday in October, and that's why there's a lot of folks home and different things. That will start up first of October again. We're not having Wednesday nights uh, until October as well. This has just been, this is our second week of that. We want to give people a chance to get healthy and thank the Lord that that they are. Uh, but having said that, uh, we had to move our new members class, those of you who've signed up or shown interest in it, from the 26th to the October 3rd. So that first Sunday in October, we'll have our new members class. For those of you who who are interested, who are new to Carpenter's Way, um, This is a place that you can meet all the elders. You can meet the pastoral staff. You get to hear how we do, what we do, why we do. It's a chance to ask questions. Uh, I I do the doctrine of the church, so it's a good chance to find out more about Carpenter's Way. And again, that will be October 3rd. Uh, If you're interested in information on the church, uh, your entry point to the body life of the church, to getting to know people, is our welcome table in the entryway. And uh, at that table, immediately following the service, is my dad and my Karen. who uh they will be at that table and they can answer your questions if you are not getting the email updates I, I know i say this every week but it's really important if you are not getting an email from us on fridays our prayer guide as well as our uh, our virtual bulletins please go to that table and just give us your information if you're interested in hearing what's going on in the church it's uh it's the best way for us to communicate to you so please plan on that and um I think, I think that does it. The only other announcement I have this morning, and then I want to do what we came here to do, and that's get into the Word, is that uh, if you are not registered to vote, uh, there is voter registration out there in the, in the lobby. Sharon Kennedy does that, and she can answer your questions. And, uh, you know, we are not a political body. We are a, a spiritual body. God is our Father, and we try to stay away from politics except talking about the worship of politics. But having said that, we do think that as citizens of this country, it's a privilege to be involved. And uh, you need to be prayerful, and you need to be involved. So that's why we do this. Uh, Sharon, are you in this room? I have a question. Is this your last week, or is next week your last week? You, you, what did she say? Three, okay. Thank you, Jim. Uh, that was not Sharon's voice. That was Jim's voice. So... <laughs> so... So uh, this week and next week, and, uh, but it, we, we run out of time when you can do that. So please be involved, and you can ask questions and different things like that. So, all right, now I want to pray, and I want to get into our text because today is so important. There are, I know I say this every week, and I mean it every week, but there are some weeks that are even more important and more significant, especially where we are in the world and where we are in our time. And uh, this is one of those texts, and, and it was a wonderful week of study. And, and uh, so let's commit our time to the Lord. Would you please just take a moment in your hearts and and, uh, tell the Lord to speak to you? Uh, Now would you take a moment and pray for me that I don't speak my passions, but I speak the passion of of the Word, of, of the message of the Gospel. Would you just take a moment and pray? Even, even Just generally, you don't have to pray by name unless the Lord bring ones to, brings one to mind, but you pray for those in our church that are hurting and scared and, and ill. And now I know that there's some of you that didn't pray because you're not a child of God, and that's okay. We're glad you're here. We're glad you're watching. But I, do, I challenge you right now to say, God, if you're there, I want you to speak to me today. Lord Jesus, you've heard the prayers of your children and those that are seeking you. I pray you'd answer them. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. One of the struggles that I have with a book like Galatians, and you know that I'm extremely contextual in how I look at Scripture, is that it's a letter. It's, it's not a doctrinal book with five points, although it's broken down into six chapters. That sort of feeds our idea that it's that it's kind of a doctrinal thing and there's an outline. But the truth is, Paul has a passion that he's writing to in this letter. He's got one point, and you're going to hear it week after week after week. But as we break it down, we see his case for that. Paul is a very intelligent man, a lawyer kind of character. And he makes such a phenomenal case for his case. And my fear is that as we go through it, we end up biting off 30 or 40 minute pieces of the cake and we miss the big picture, that beautiful cake that, that was written to be read as a whole. And so I need to ask you a favor. There's only so much I can do in 40 minutes, but I need you to think as we study this. I need you to think contextually. I need you to think biblically. I need you to stick with us in our study because each week is going to build on the previous week, which is going to build on the previous week, which is going to make this powerful, powerful case for what is the gospel. What is the only way to God? Or is there many ways to God? What what is the answer to that question? Because if you believe the Bible is God's Word, then God's Word holds the answer. And I'm here to tell you that this book, this letter that Paul writes to the churches of Galatia is very clear on what that is. And with that being the case, I don't want you to believe anything I say. I want you to believe the Word itself. So I need you to be a student. If you are not a child of God, I need you to be a critical thinker. I need you to be a decision maker, and I want you to decide based upon what Scripture says. With that in mind, I want to jump into today's text. I'm going to start in Galatians chapter 1, verse 6. As Paul is writing to these people. His greeting is over in verse 5, and he starts with his message in 6. I am shocked that you are turning away so soon from God. Okay, pause. You've got to note this. He is saying... Something very important. You're not turning away from us. You're not turning away from your church. You're not turning away from your tradition. You have turned away from God so soon who called you to Himself through the loving mercy of Christ. And we talked about this last week in our study. But what he is saying is, in God's gospel, and the word gospel, for those of you who don't know this, just means good news. It's not a religious word. It's a Greek word. It simply means the good news. Some, words, some Greek words the church likes to grab, that's why we use the term gospel. And, uh, but it's not a religious word. It just means the good news. Whenever Paul uses the word, or Jesus uses the word gospel, they're not saying gospel, they're saying good news. So there's good news. And God's good news is that He has done all the work to call us to Himself through Himself, through the loving mercy of Christ. In God's Gospel, not in, the, not in the, uh, the Methodist Gospel or the Baptist Gospel or the Catholic Gospel or the Mormon Gospel, but in God's Gospel. It's all about God. You're only saved by the loving mercy of Christ. And I I want to begin by reminding you what mercy is. Mercy is not getting what you deserve. What we deserve is separation from God for eternity because of our sin nature. Grace is getting what we don't deserve. So mercy is God putting our sin on Jesus on the cross. Grace is giving us eternal life. It's giving us adoption into the family of God. It's giving us each other. Mercy is not getting what you deserve. Grace is getting what you don't deserve. So when somebody asks you, how are you? And you say, better than I deserve. That is an absolutely doctrinal correct answer. That's the right, I'm not saying you should, but I'm simply saying that that's the right answer. Because no matter what situation in which you find yourself this morning, no matter what you're thinking and feeling, no matter what's got you afraid, and there's lots to fear right now if, your life, if you are obsessed with this life, there's lots to be afraid of, but I'm here to tell you that no matter what circumstance in which you find yourself, you are doing better than you deserve if you're a child of God. If you're not, you're doing just about how you deserve to do and what comes next is not God's anger against you if you spend eternity apart from God in hell. It's what you deserve. And we've got to get back to believing that. People do not go to hell because they're adulterers or they're gay or because they're liars. They are liars and gays and adulterers because they're sinful. That's a symptom. You are not going... Uh, I, I don't know. I'm trying to think of something. A fever. If all you do is bathe, when you have a fever, is bathe in ice, all that does is take care of a symptom. It does not take care of the problem. The problem has to be solved or it will manifest itself in some different way. And it seems to me, and we'll get into this, it seems to me that for my, most of my life, the church has been dealing with symptoms and not the problem. And that's become a problem. That's become a problem. We've got to get to the problem. Your problem is not that you're gay. Your problem is not that you're mean. Your problem is not that you're an adulterer or you're lustful. That is a symptom of the problem. The problem is you have not been renewed through the blood of Jesus Christ and the inhabiting of the Holy Spirit. That is the problem. So we continue. You are following a different way, the churches he's writing to, that pretends to be good news. But it's not the good news, the good news at all. You are being fooled by those who deliberately twist the truth concerning Christ. And that was last week's message. There are those who deliberately twist the truth so that you don't know it. Let God's curse fall on anyone, including us, or even an angel from heaven who preaches a different kind of good news than the one we preached to you in the past. I say again, that we have said before, if anyone preaches any other good news than the one you welcomed, let that person be cursed by God. Obviously, I am not trying to win the approval of people because I just ticked you off. I added that. I am not trying to win the approval of people. This is very important for what you're gonna, we're going to read later today. But of God. If pleasing people were my goal, I would not be Christ's servant. Wow, there's a ton there. We talked about it last week. But Paul is admitting that if you want to be a friend with the world, you cannot be a friend of God. If you want to be a friend of God, you will not be a friend of the world. That's in the, in the book of James in the New Testament. The letter James writes, we're not unfamiliar with that context, but we still try to make it true. Our flesh wants to be a friend of God and the world. Our flesh wants a hand in both. Our flesh wants to separate my spiritual life and my secular life. Our flesh wants everybody to like us. God and Satan. It's not possible. He just said, Paul, if pleasing people were my goal, I would not be Christ's servant. Now we're jumping forward to today's text. I know you're like, well it's already 20 after 10. You're not done yet. I'm never done. Dear brothers and sisters, and I love that. Because he just whacked them, right? And he's going to whack them again. But he's he's addressing them, and I know this this is Bible and it's English and it's a translation, but he's saying, you are so dear to me. I love you guys. Come on, you're my family. Dear brothers and sisters, I want you to understand that the gospel message I preach is not based on human reasoning. Why is he saying that? Because these false teachers come in and they make human arguments. Well, that doesn't make sense. How can we do this? I, don't, I just choose not to believe. And Paul is saying, I want you to understand that the gospel message I preached is not based on mere human reasoning. I received my message from no human source. And no one taught me. Instead, I received it by direct revelation of Jesus Christ. Now, he's going to tell them how that happened in the next section of this letter. So let's read it. You know what I was like when I followed the Jewish religion how I violently persecuted God's church. I did my best to destroy it. I was far ahead of my, uh, of my fellow Jews in my zeal for the traditions of my ancestors. Let that sink in. I was far ahead. In other words, these people that are teaching you these false things about Hebraic stuff, these people, these people that are doing that, I was better than any of them. You know that. Paul is saying, you know all this about me. You know that. I had so much zeal for the Jewish religion, actually, which was a a zeal for the tradition of my ancestors. For all of those of you who have made American nationalism, or whatever country you are in watching this, uh, if you have made that part of your religion, then you should be very aware of what Paul just said. Your nationalistic traditions, your religious traditions have nothing to do with the good news that God presents. Nothing. Nothing your Baptist traditions, nothing to do with God's good news. It may contain that, but it has nothing to do with where you attend church on Sundays. It has nothing to do with the country you grew up in. It has nothing to do with what makes you feel warm and fuzzy. It has nothing to do with the flag in your yard. This is about God and people. That's all. But even before I was born, and Paul starts by saying, I was all about that. I was more zeal than anybody you've ever met. I was the guy who was about Jewish traditions and and Hebraic doctrine and, and Judaism. I was about all of those things. But even before I was born, God chose me and called me by His marvelous grace. Then it pleased Him to reveal His Son to me so that I, so that, so there was a reason for it. He he called Paul so that I would proclaim the good news about Jesus to the Gentiles. When this happened, I did not rush out to consult with any human being. This is very important in the case he's making. Remember, he said he didn't learn it from people. It's not an apostolic religion. It's not a New Testament religion. It's not a new Jewish religion. This is something that God revealed to him. And so he didn't rush out to consult any human being, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to consult with those who were apostles before I was. Instead, I went away into Arabia, and later I returned to the city of Damascus. It was three years later that I went to Jerusalem to get to know Peter, and I stayed with him for 15 days. The only other apostle I even met at that time was James, the Lord's brother. I declare before God that what I am writing to you is not a lie. Let me put that in modern terms. God is my witness. I swear before God that I'm telling you the truth. It was at least three years into my ministry and knowing God that I even met my first apostle. That's kind of weighty. Why is that weighty? Because Paul is not preaching religion. This wasn't him going and hanging out with 12 guys who decided, and that's one of the cases that people make against Christianity, that the Bible is is uh, contrived of of writings by these 12 disciples of Jesus who misrepresent Jesus to create this, uh, this religion that we follow. And I'm here to tell you that Paul is making the case of why that's not true. He didn't go to consult them. Three years later, he finally meets his first apostle, Peter, and then James, Jesus' brother. The point he's making is, this message he preaches is not from God. He didn't even meet with anybody about it. After that visit, three years into his ministry, I went north to the provinces of Syria and Sicily. I, and still, the churches in Christ that are in Judea didn't even know me personally. Now, all they did know that people were, was what people were saying. That one who used to persecute us, you think he was popular in his persecution? They don't even call him by name. That guy. They all knew that there was some guy that had been sent out from the Jewish religious leaders to persecute the body of Christ. That guy. You think Osama bin Laden is popular for terrorism? He's Osama bin Laden. That's who he was. They didn't know his name, they just knew that there was a guy. And if he comes to our community, don't say anything. He's going to persecute you. All these people knew was that people were saying the one who used to persecute us is now preaching the very faith he tried to destroy. And they praise God because of me. It was 14 years later. So we've got three years and 14. Four, five, six, seven, all right? I'm a math wizard now. 17 years later, he goes back to Jerusalem again, this time with Barnabas. And Titus came along too. I went there because God revealed to me that I should go. While I was there, I met privately with those considered to be leaders of the church and shared the message with them. I had been preaching to the Gentiles. All right, so again, I want to make this point because this is Paul's case. Paul is saying he didn't even meet the other ten apostles or the leaders of the mother church for 17 years after God called him to himself and he began his ministry. Why is Paul saying this? Because he's, he's saying this isn't a contrived religion. This isn't a bunch of people who, who create a new form of Judaism. He is saying this is from God. I went there because God revealed to me that I should go. While I was there, I met privately with those considered to be leaders of the church and shared with them the message I had been preaching to the Gentiles. I wanted to make sure that we were in agreement for fear that all of my efforts had been wasted and I was running the race for nothing. You know what that's called? Accountability. So let me put it in something our modern church needs to understand. When Paul said, I got this revelation directly from God... There are people in the modern church today that goes, well, I get that. If Paul can get it, I can get it. He's not that special. Well, I want to make it clear that Paul actually goes 14 years later in his ministry to the church to talk with them to make sure that they are in one accord with the message of the gospel. That's called what? Accountability. Accountability matters because our flesh is so easily distracted. I, I, I want to say something we're going to get more into as we get farther in Galatians. Just because it feels good doesn't make it right. Oh, what? Your grandma taught you that? Well, let me teach you that theologically. Just because it feels good doesn't make it right. In fact, I would say that Satan's best work is in good feeling. It just is. Or nobody'd be struggling. We'd all, you know, I mean, it's just if everything that was true felt good, none of us would struggle with sin. I, I, I want to make something else clear. God did not save you to make you moral. He saved you to make make you His child. Morality is something that comes as you grow in your relationship with Him. This was never about being a good Baptist, a good evangelical, a good American citizen. This was about being the child of God. And somewhere along the line, those of us who go to good churches that preach the gospel it began to be about churches and, and political stuff and, and how I feel and, and worship that makes me feel good. And it became about so many other things. It's only about God even today. It's only about God. What do you mean it's only about God? I'll answer that later because Paul's going to explain that. So he goes back 14 years later. He finally meets the others in the church. He was afraid that his efforts had been wasted. He was running the race for nothing. God told him to go there. He meets with them. Verse 3 of chapter 2, and they supported me. They didn't even demand that my companion Titus had to be circumcised, though he was a Gentile. So so why does he bring that particular thing up? Because that's what's being taught in the churches of Galatia. That yes, Jesus is the Savior, but you're not really saved unless you become Hebrew, Hebrew in your doctrine as well. And the way you prove that is by circumcision. And he's saying that the leaders of the Jerusalem church didn't ask that he was circumcised, even though he was a Gentile. Even that question, the circumcision one, came up only because some so-called believers there, fake ones, who were secretly brought in, they sneaked in to spy on us and take away the freedom that we have in Christ Jesus. They wanted to enslave us and force us to follow their Jewish regulations. Please notice that this is God's gospel. It's their Jewish regulations. They're two separate things completely, even if Judaism feels right to them. But we refuse to give in to them even for a single moment. Why? Because we wanted to preserve the truth of the gospel message for you. Now, pause, because this is super important. This sentence right here, it tells you why Paul is writing. Paul is writing to them, and why he's frustrated, even angry. Why is he going to use terms of, who has bewitched you? How could you so easily, so quickly? He isn't just shocked that they've turned away from the gospel. He's shocked, in verse 6 tells us, that they've turned away from the gospel quickly. And I want to be clear that they haven't rejected salvation through faith in Christ. They are now rejecting salvation through faith in Christ, what? Alone. Alone. And Paul calls that rejecting the gospel. Adding to the gospel, taking away from the gospel, is changing the gospel. And what he does here is he's writing to them because he is fighting to preserve the truth of the gospel message for us. He's fighting for it. That's why. The question of keeping Hebrew laws and traditions, actually, the question of adding anything to the gospel, is just not some small addition to the message of Jesus. It's a false gospel. And I got to tell you something, it wasn't just back then, it's here in this community. How can you say that? Because you don't have to be water baptized to be saved. The Bible doesn't teach that. Well, what does it hurt, preacher? It hurts because you're adding to the gospel. I mean, think about it. What's wrong with being Jewish in your religion if you're a follower of Jesus? Well, if that's part of your religion, if that's part of what you think makes you right with God, it is a problem. There's nothing wrong with water baptism. Water baptism is an obedience to Christ. We should all be water baptized. But it has nothing to do with you getting saved. Nothing. Well, what about an Acts, where Paul t- or, uh, yeah, uh, Peter and John tell him, be baptized in your whole family. That's like me saying, pray the prayer. The thief on the cross wasn't baptized or prayed a prayer. He died and was in paradise that day. Why? Because he believed. He believed. I've had a conversation with somebody who believes, a pastor who believes in baptism salvation. And I brought up to him the thief on the cross and his response shocked me. How do you know he wasn't baptized? That's the stupidity in which we live today. And if you don't think it matters, it does. Because it's a gateway drug to self-saving. It's a gateway drug to self-religion. Salvation is through faith in Christ alone. And adding to it, even good feeling things. Satan will use religion, even romantic religion traditions that we like, to move us away from Jesus. Because he doesn't care if you're a good Christian. He just doesn't want you surrendered to the direction and authority of God. And he will sue you. He will give you whatever you need to keep you from surrendering control of your life to God. The wrong spouse, uh, a style of music that isn't found on good doctrine, he'll give you whatever you need. An adulterous lover? Self-righteous feelings? Hate for someone that feels good sometimes? He'll give it to you. If it will keep you from surrendering control of your life to God. Because if you do that, Jesus described it for us. If anyone wants to come after me, if you're going to be a follower of me, you're going to have to what? Well, Christine, I think Christine said it. It sounded like your voice. Did you? Everybody's going to jump to pick up your cross and follow him. That's fine, but it rolls out of our mouth mouth too quick. In Luke, it says deny yourself. Pick up your cross and follow him. I think one of the greatest lies of Satan in the church today is just because you get saved, you won't be tempted to sin. I think that's a lie. It was never about losing temptation to sin. Being tempted to sin isn't a lie. It's being human. But denying yourself uh, of that temptation is what God calls us to. God doesn't accept you as you are. He accepts you as He will make you to be. You see, somewhere along the line, we started believing that God wanted us to be happy. No, God wants us to be holy. And joy comes with holiness, but it doesn't always make you happy. If you think Paul is happy writing this, you really haven't read it enough. You need to read it seven more times this week. He's very upset. Satan will use religion, even romantic religion traditions, nationalistic cultural traditions to move us away from Jesus. The leaders of the church, okay, verse 6 of chapter 2, I'm picking up here. The leaders of the church had nothing to add to what I was preaching. They were in one accord. Message was from God. We affirm you, Paul. We affirm your message. By the way, their reputation as great leaders made no difference to me, for God has no favorites. (laughs) <laughs> okay. I don't know that he needed to take that shot, but it was a good one. And it was important for the Jews. Because why? Or the Gentiles? Because the Gentiles are seeing these people come in with garments, these impressive garments and, and religious leadership and authority. And they walk in and you want to respect them. But what Paul is saying, God has no favorites. If the Pope, if the pope with all of his garments, walked in here this morning, I want to be clear. He's not getting the pulpit. And he's no more spiritually close to God than you. I don't care what garments he wears. But there is something within us that makes us feel that some of us are more anointed than others, and that is not from God. That's from Gnosticism. You have the Holy Spirit living within you. You are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Listen to him. Back to our text. Instead, verse 7 They saw that God had given me the responsibility of preaching the gospel to the Gentiles. So these are the leaders of the Jerusalem church and the apostles. He gave me the... They understood that he had given me the responsibility of preaching the gospel to the Gentiles, just as he had given Peter the responsibility of preaching to the Jews. For the same God who worked through Peter as an apostle to the Jews also worked through me as the apostle to the Gentiles. In fact, James and and Peter and John, who are known as pillars of the church, recognized the gift God had given me, and they accepted Barnabas and me as their co-workers. They encouraged us to keep preaching to the Gentiles, While they continued their work with the Jews, their only suggestion was that we keep on helping the poor, which I have always been eager to do. All right, so we're going to take a breath here. Because what I want to do is I want to make two observations about this before we can read on. My first observation is this. Paul is making one simple point, and I've already pointed it out and laid it out. The message that Paul preached, the message of the gospel, the good news in Scripture, is not from men but from God himself. This is the one that counts. His case that he makes is I didn't even meet with the elders or the apostles or the elders of the Jerusalem church for 14 years. It was me and God. And he taught me from what I knew of the Old Testament Scriptures and through Jesus, and I understood this. Then I went for accountability and they affirmed what I was teaching. The first thing is that this thing... Okay. Paul's God-confidence... And I'm not preaching this morning. I want to talk with you. I'm pleading with your hearts to get this. Paul's God confidence, let's call it, came from God. His relationship with God. Not just visions at night, but actually comparing the Old Testament Scriptures, his study, his understanding, what God was teaching him. he, He compared those things, and his doctrine came from God. His confidence was not in the Jewish or Christian leadership in Jerusalem, the mother church. Where does your confidence come from in what you believe? Where is your confidence from? This is hard for us to grasp growing up in the United States, but while we claim that the message of the gospel that we believe comes from God, I really think that we sort of underneath the surface believe that it comes from our parents or our grandparents or our Sunday school teachers. I think we sort of think it's our culture. I think most Christians actually believe, and this is just from conversations I've had with people, I think, and, and you have to ask yourself if this is true in your heart. Okay, don't throw things at me because this might sting a little. But I actually think most of us in this room, if honest, would probably say that the reason they're Christian and not Muslim is because they were, grown, they, they were born in America and not the Middle East. You see, while we say that God draws us to himself, we look at Paul as an exception. When God, this is for you, Robert, knocked him off his horse. That, there was no horse involved, but I like to say that just to tick Robert off. The the, the truth is that God met with Saul on his way to Damascus. And I would like to say that whether it was your mom and dad who led you to Jesus, or a pastor, or your Sunday school teacher, or you were on the couch, I want to be clear, it was God that called you to himself. And when we start thinking that if I was in the Middle East, I wouldn't be a Christian, you are misunderstanding how you got saved. Yes, there may be a lot more evangelical followers of Jesus in America than there are in other places, but actually you don't know that that's true. You don't know that. That's just stuff we think. That's just stuff we've been taught. The truth is, it has been said by voice of the martyrs and others who study these things, or who know these things, that Christianity is growing faster in Iran than anywhere else in the world. Iran. Those are the people we should bomb into oblivion. Should we? The gospel's spreading. Why would we do that? What would be really funny is for us to have a nuclear attack on them and God to stop the missiles from flying. Why? Because His passion is for people to know Himself, not for America to win. I just laughed all of our vets, I know. I apologize. But Jesus was clear when He said, You seek first my kingdom. My kingdom. As opposed to what, Jesus? Your kingdom. Oh, come on. Don't come on. We have sold the, the message of the gospel to Americanism in many cases. And I'm here to tell you that if you are truly a child of God, actually, I don't have to tell you that. Hmm. John 6, 44. Ready? Kevin, I'm going I'm to mess all these verses up, and then we'll go back to Ephesians. But look at this. leave it up there. I just want you to read it. This is not Mark making this up. This is Jesus. Oh, there's that Calvinism thing. Not a Calvinist. I'm a Biblicist. No one can come to me, Jesus said, unless the Father who sent me draws them to me. I don't like that verse. Okay. So how are you any different than the circumcision Judaizers? It's there. It says it. What does it mean? Well, it means that God knows you're going to come to Him so He starts drawing you then. Do you know how hard you work for that? They're drawn. Just like Paul. You have a perfect example. Or Abraham. How about all the characters of Scripture? He says to Andrew, come follow me. He says to Peter, see, drop your nets and follow. These weren't, like, these weren't people that figured it out on their own. It was God going, I want you to serve me. Do you know what, what true... True. uh, I just go to Ephesians two. I can't figure out what I'm trying to say. Okay, Ephesians two. I want you to listen to these verses. I want you to read them. You know these. You, you. uh, It's it's right before John six. Kevin, here we go. Ready? This is huge. Once you were dead, Paul is writing to the Ephesian Gentile believers. Once you were dead because of your disobedience and many sins. So so I want to pause. What is your spiritual condition before salvation? dead. this is missing in the church. We think we're just struggling. We think we're, dra- we're uh, Zach really hit this uh, at home. I, I don't. He must not be here anymore. Did he go home? He hates my preaching anyway. So, so. Um, uh, <laughs> Where was I going? Oh, uh, once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins. used to, when he was going around doing magic, one of the big things he did is he showed a picture that's a popular evangelical picture of a guy drowning and Jesus reaching out to save him. You, you can picture that in your mind. You've probably seen it. And he said, the problem is that's not biblically true. And then he showed a p- picture of a casket. And he said, that's the truth. You see, we think we're finding God, that we're treading water until we get a, a, an ear-tickling truth that we want to grab onto. And we just happen to, because we're Americans and nationalistic and grew up in Christian homes, we just grab Jesus. and That lifesaver is working. The truth is, you weren't alive. You were dead. Spiritually dead. Because of your disobedience and your many sins, spiritually you were dead. You weren't treading water. You were at the bottom of the sea going, there was nothing in you. Your salvation, my salvation, is the resurrection. It is a supernatural, Holy Spirit-empowered thing that was done with the same power that resurrected Christ. Let's go. Verse 2. Here we go. You used to live in sin just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil, the commander of the powers of the unseen world. He is the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. All of us used to live that way following the passionate desires and inclinations of our sinful nature. By our very nature, we were subject to God's wrath or anger, just like everybody else. But God is so rich in mercy. Mercy, we're not going to get what we deserve. He's so rich in mercy, and He loved us so very much, that even though we were, what's the word? Dead. Struggling, right? Uh, On life support, uh, uh, swallowing water. No. No dead, even though you were dead because of your many sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. It's only by God's grace that you've been saved. In other words, it's his mercy that keeps you from going to hell. It's his grace that gives you salvation. Next verse. For he raised us from the dead, our spiritual condition before Christ, with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ Jesus. So, so what? Well, God can point to us in all future ages as examples of the incredible wealth of His grace and His kindness towards us as shown in all He has done for us who are united with Christ Jesus. God saved you by His grace when you believed. You do one thing, you believe. But it's God who does all the work. And you can't take credit for it? It's a gift from God. Salvation is not the reward for good things we've done. Can it be any clearer than that? It's not a reward for being American. It's not a reward for being having a great-grandfather that's a pastor. It's not a reward for being nice, being good-looking, being moral. It is not a reward for anything that we have done, so none of us can boast about it. That's the second time he said that. in the two verses, one right after the other, it is very clear. Paul wants us to understand. Why is it an act of God? because He doesn't want you to be cocky. He doesn't want you to think you did it. He wants you to know it's all Him. For we are God's masterpiece, not our own, not our pastors, not our churches, not our countries. We are not a masterpiece of anybody other than God. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus. Why? So that we can do the good things He planned for long ago. And that's exactly why Paul says he got saved. He was saved, God knocked him to the ground, introduced himself to Paul. Paul says, who are you, Lord? God introduced himself, and for 14 years he follows Jesus wherever it takes him and endures enormous persecution because he believed in God. Not church, strong leadership, religious history, his own fleshly desires, but because God redeemed him. Galatians 2.9, back to Galatians now. James, Peter, and John, who were known as pillars of the church, recognized the gift God had given me, and they accepted Barnabas and me as their co-workers. They encouraged us to keep preaching to the Gentiles while they continued their work with the Jews. And I know you might be thinking, great pastor, good story. So, you know, we got COVID, and we've got Afghanistan, and we've got immorality and wokeness. It's a great story, pastor, but so what? Do you have any idea how control, out, out of control our lives feel? Shouldn't you be preaching on COVID or government overreach or something relevant? I had somebody recently ask me, my, uh, our church's stand on critical race theory. I know nobody laughed because a lot of you would like to know where I stand on critical race theory. Don't care. Not my world. Just passing through. So you don't have a problem if they ruin America? It's only not been ruined if you're not a Native American or a black person. Okay, so you think there's racism today? A, it doesn't matter what I think. B, we enslaved people for 270 years because of the color of their skin. And yes, I'm aware that there were black slave masters. But to act like we were a country that was Christian, those are not the values of the Jesus Christ of the scriptures. And you know it. You know it. That's not the value of Jesus. Jesus wouldn't enslave anybody. Galatians 5.1, I've set you free for the sake of freedom. See, that's the problem is we have married our feelings and our patriotism, which is fine. I'm a conservative, I tell you. I know three of you believe it, but it's true. I told you two weeks ago I voted for the loud guy. And I only tell you now just to say I'm not liberal like I sound. I'm just telling you Jesus is more important. Way more important. Way, 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 way more important. Way, 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 way way more important. More important than vaccination or your view of it. More important than who's president. More important than anything. Because 110 years from now, none of us are going to matter about anything except what we did with Jesus Christ's offer to redeem us from sin. And the people that you're struggling with in your neighborhood, in your community, and in this church, and outside of this church, all that's going to matter 110 years from now is what they did with Jesus, not how they voted. Seek first my kingdom. The problem is, after we get saved, and after we're transforming into God's image, We start wanting to marry our flesh with that. And that's why people are debating today whether you can be gay and a Christian. What kind of debate is that? I mean, can I enjoy porn and be saved? Can I hate and be saved? I mean, you realize what we were saved from, right? What were we saved from? Somebody tell me. Sin! Yes, I don't know who said that. Maybe a kid? But we were saved from sin. We were not saved from the things we do. We were saved from sin. The things we do determines whether or not we're saved. We'll talk about that later. Whether the Spirit's in control is a better way to say it. But the truth is, have I given my life to Christ or not? Romans 10, 9 and 10, if you confess me as mostly in charge, what's the word? I actually think I have that verse here. Yes, Romans 10. Let's jump down there. Oh, I'm killing this passage. I'll go back to Galatians in a moment. This is the gospel message from Romans 10, 8-13. This message is the very message about faith that we preach. If you openly declare that Jesus is mostly in control, what does the word Lord mean? Controller, King, and by the way, that word is Yahweh, which means God. Jesus is God, and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. So think about all that's involved there. It's not just, I I don't want to die and go to hell. It's, wow, you would save me? The thief on the cross, that's exactly what he said. Have you no respect for this man? We deserve what we're getting. He's innocent. Master, remember me when you come into your kingdom. It wasn't even about his sinful condition. It was about the graciousness of this man who's hanging on the cross. It was about Jesus that day. That's why he got saved without the sinner's prayer and the baptism. Because it wasn't about him. We've made it about you. You see, God sits on his throne pleading with humanity to be redeemed. We're already condemned. He wants us to change that status. And how how do we change it? Through him. He just wants us to reach up back and go, okay, I take it. You're the only one who can help me. And he goes, perfect. Now you're safe. But somewhere along the line, we start going, yeah, but you can't be a Christian, and we'll get into that later. But the minute we start adding baptism, circumcision, religiosity, the way you vote, what you do with vaccines, we have left the gospel message. It's no longer about Jesus. I don't care what side of the fence you're on. If your whole life is a social gospel life, you are not about Jesus. If your whole life is a life that's committed to saving the republic, you are not focused on Jesus. If you spend more time talking about what America used to be, than you do Jesus, you are not focused on Jesus. I might as well offend all of us. And by the way, that's why I had to turn off the news because it fired me up. It did. It fired me up. And then I was fired up all the time. Probably a liberal voter. Ram the bumper of their car. Coexist. Going to hell instead of need Jesus. You see, the reason people have coexist on their bumper sticker, truthfully, is because we haven't told them that there is a way that they want. I mean, the truth is, we don't look like a very attractive target. You do, but not most of Christendom. Well, people don't want to be like us. Why? Because we're in a political action committee, we're just as angry. We're just as scared. We're just as freaked out. And there is something that should give us peace even when we're scared, and that is the supremacy of God. I didn't know you knew that word, Pastor. The holiness of God. The sovereignty of God. The alpha and omega of God. That should give me peace even on my deathbed. I don't want to die. I don't want to die. I don't want to die. But I know who I'll see 30 seconds after. That's what gives us peace. You're still going to struggle with your lust. You're still going to struggle with your taste in music. You're still going to struggle with your silly pastor. You're going to struggle with COVID. You're going to struggle with the political things. But somewhere when you get closer to Christ, you hear his voice going, Stop it. Not done. Here we go. Ready? Back to Galatians chapter 2. I'm going to start in verse 12. We're going to get through the chapter here. When we first arrived... Oh, <laughs> verse 11. This is great. So why is it important that you don't follow Peter? Why was it important that Paul meet with God? Why is it important for God to pour into to Paul specifically without sending him just to apostolic leadership? Because this kind of crap happens. Crap is a Greek word. Crap a Y, It means poop. Here it goes. But when Peter. This is our Peter. This is our guy. This is after the resurrection. Sorry. Your kids are in here. Just tell him it's Greek, okay? And thank God for forgiveness. Um, but listen, this is, this is our Peter, okay? This is after the resurrection. So this is after he's denied Christ. This is after he's been on fire. This is after Acts when he's done all those amazing things that we read about. This is the new Peter that we all like so much. Listen to this. When Peter came to Antioch, I had to oppose him, Paul, to his face for what he did was very wrong. Paul, you publicly rebuked. Peter? Are you kidding me? That is not how you make friends. Well, they already told us that if he was a follower, if he wanted to be friends with people, he wouldn't be a follower of Jesus because he has to do stuff like this. Here's what he did. When he first arrived, he ate with Gentile believers who were not circumcised. But afterward, when some friends came, of James came, Peter wouldn't eat with the Gentiles anymore. Why? He was afraid of the criticism from these people who insisted on the necessity of circumcision. What a big baby! Yes, you are right. Peter watered it down because he didn't want to be criticized. Isn't that crazy? Have you read First and Second Peter? This is bold guy. But even he's tempted. As a result, other Jewish believers followed Peter's hypocrisy, and even Barnabas was led astray by his hypocrisy. And that's why you have to know Jesus for yourself from his word. Because guys like me are easily distracted. There's a little shiny thing in the corner. A bigger church. A better children's wing. Programming that that they'll ask me how I did so I can have a leadership conference in my church. Little shiny things that are like little tokens on my little Bible belt. And I'm here to tell you, Jesus is it. And if I ever change, take me out and drown me out back, I'm useless. I I don't mean that literally because some of you probably think it'd be a good time to do that. When I saw that they were not following, now now this is interesting, let me read the rest and make a point and then we'll close in, in, in a second, I'm going to read you something. So I'm going to go a few minutes over. When I saw that they were not following the truth of the gospel message, I said to Peter, in front of all the others, publicly, since you, a Jew by birth, have discarded the Jewish laws and are living like a Gentile when you're not here, why are you now trying to make these Gentiles follow the Jewish traditions? You and I are Jews by birth. We're not sinners like the Gentiles. Ooh, sarcasm there yet we know that a person is made right with God by faith in Jesus Christ, not by obeying the law. You wonder where we get Christ alone? That's it. And we have believed in Christ Jesus so that we might be made right with God because of our faith in Christ, not because we have obeyed the law, for no one will ever be made right with God by obeying the law. But suppose we seek to be made right with God through faith in Christ, and then we're found guilty because we've abandoned the law. Would it mean that Christ led us into sin? Absolutely not. Rather, I'm a sinner if I rebuild the old system of the law I have already tore down. For when I tried to keep the law, it condemned me. In other words, I couldn't. I was never good enough. So I died to the law. I stopped trying to meet its requirements so that I might live for God. Wow. He stopped being religious so that he could live for God. So, Here's my observation. And uh, Kevin, I'm going to tell you what next verse to put up there because we're going to jump to the end. There's a time to judge. Openly and publicly. Because heretics twist and turn and make you feel like they're right when they're not. In First Corinthians 5, it tells us it is not our responsibility. Go ahead and put that up there. I'm gonna, I, like I said, I'm going to go a little long. I know some of you are thinking, don't you every week? Yes, quit being a judge. It isn't my responsibility to judge outsiders, but it is certainly your responsibility to judge those inside the church who are sinning. God will judge those on the outside, but as the Scripture says, you must remove the evil person from among you. This is not the only place where Paul rebukes false teachers. And even religious leaders, by naming them, he does it in the book of Timothy. After telling Timothy that his pastoral responsibility is to correct and rebuke. Peter and Barnabas had stopped living the gospel out simply because they were afraid of being criticized. And they changed their their tactics because of it. If that is something Peter struggled with, then how much more must we be careful, especially in a season where we have so many Christian ministers quote-unquote teaching heretical doctrines about Jesus. And we should not name names. And because of that, I'm going to name a couple names. Bethel Ministries out of, Red, uh, out of Redding, California, they're heretics. Starting from Bill Johnson all the way down. Their doctrine on Jesus is called the Kenosis Theory and it literally teaches that Jesus on the earth was not God. That's heresy. 1 John chapter 2 says anybody who messes with Jesus or the gospel of Jesus or his divinity is in fact in the spirit of the Antichrist. I know it bothers some of you when I name names, but they need to be named. Jen Hatmaker, heretic. She no longer believes all sins should be dealt with by Jesus on the cross. There are certain sins that shouldn't be considered sin. That's heresy. Be careful. Kenneth Copeland. Boop. Thank you, Kenneth, for letting us borrow your plane to get people out of Afghanistan. Nice move. Your doctrine stinks. And all you've got to do is watch him for 15 minutes to hear it. The whole health and wealth doctrine. Let me come back to that. Paul said, at the beginning of Galatians, in Galatians 1.10, I am not trying to win the approval of people but of God. If pleasing people were my goal, I would not be Christ's servant. All right, Kevin, I'm going to have you put Galatians 2.20. Because of all this, this is a verse that we know very well. I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live. We've thrown it around in camps, we throw it around the church, we get it. But but we don't think about why he is saying it. What Paul is saying is, I know I'm not popular. I don't want to write this letter. I don't want to yell at you, but it is the right thing to do. Even Peter has done this. You need to listen to me. And at the end of all, doing that rebuke and knowing that these people are going to hate the letter that he sends or not like what he's saying, he's explaining why he's willing to do it. Because my old self has been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. So I live, this earth, I live this earthly body by trusting in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. In other words, Paul loved all things Jewish, but he was not going to lie about Judaism at the cost of people who needed Jesus. Why is this important? Because God is asking you and I to deny ourselves, pick up our cross, and follow him. And that means that when we have to deny ourselves, that means that there's going to be denial involved. That means there are going to be things that I want, things that I like, things that make me feel good, things that I wish were one way instead of another, and I have to put those aside for the case of the kingdom. Anything other than that is not being focused on God, and that's what Peter did. All he did was not eat with Gentiles. Wouldn't we all sit here and go, well, he's just being silly? Not Paul. Paul thought it was so devastating that he he publicly rebuked him. The question for us is, are we still trying to live our life? Friendship with the world is not friendship with God, and friendship with God will make you an enemy of the world. That's what James said. I'm not saying you become an enemy by being a jerk, but we have to wake up and understand that this kingdom we're a part of is an upside-down kingdom. Everything we think we have the right to do, God says, give up for me. And that is not a New New Testament teaching. Jesus told the religious leaders of their day that if a Roman army officer unkindly ask you to carry his pack as he walks through your city, which was a very common activity, you carry it not one mile that they ask, you carry it two. That's not fair, Paul. What's not fair is you not to go to hell. What are we living for? What are we doing? What are we dividing over? What are we not dividing over? What are we not caring about? I I tell you every week, don't trust me. Has that driven you back to the Scriptures? We're all wrong about something. I hope I'm not wrong, but you can't trust people like me. You've got the Word of God in your hand, and it's in so many great translations. Pick one up and read it. Well, it's boring. I won't even touch that. Of course it's boring. It doesn't feed your flesh. Of course it's hard. Jesus said, pick up your cross and follow me. Of course it's not fun. Now, heaven's going to be fun. It's not going to be a 50 million year worship service. It's going to be home like we've never seen it before. There's no coronavirus. There's no presidential elections. There's no Republicans lying to us or Democrats lying to us. There's no Libertarian Party. There's just a theocracy of the most just character in all of history. Jehovah. The Sovereign One. Is He worth it? Is He worth it to you? Is he worth it to me? I'm going to read you an article, and then I'm done. I posted it on Facebook book this week. My son sent it to me. It, I just need to read it. It's from the Gospel Coalition. A lady wrote this who grew up as a missionary, and she says, every time, just listen to it, the whole thing, and then you can figure it out on your own later. Every time President Biden or press secretary uh, Jen Psaki, talk about the American withdrawal from Afghanistan, they refer to evacuating Americans who, quote, want, uh, who want to leave Afghanistan, unquote. On the surface, it seems like an odd description. I mean, don't all Americans want to leave Afghanistan? Who wants to stay in a place where the Taliban are figuring out what it looks like to rule again? I even heard a commentator mock Biden on her podcast last week for describing any Americans who might want to stay. She was baffled, even angry in her presentation. No American wants to stay in a country overrun by terrorists, she said. That would be crazy. But there are indeed Americans who want to stay in Afghanistan. I don't know how many, and I don't know the story of each one, but there are more who want to stay than you might think. Why? Because they love God, and they love Afghans. They are missionaries who have already counted their cost, they left home, family, comfort, security, well before the U.S. decided to evacuate. Many, there, uh, many have been there since before the United States military arrived. They've been all in for years, and they have no intention of coming back now. They will live out their days sharing the love of Jesus in a very dark place. Many Americans, like the commentator I heard last week, are sure that all Americans want to live in America. But many American Christians have answered Jesus' call to go and make disciples of all nations. They're convinced that Jesus, who is all authority in heaven and on earth, is with them unto the very end. And they believe that there's no more worthwhile way to spend their days than to preach Jesus Christ crucified, risen, and coming again for the people of Afghanistan. They know they're in grave danger. They know they could be martyred. And they believe it's worth it. If not them, then who? How are Afghans to call on the one they have believed in, and how are they to believe in one whom they have not heard, and how are they to hear without somebody preaching to them, Romans 10 says. Several years ago, a young aid worker, a friend of our friends, was killed by the Taliban in Afghanistan. Violence from the Taliban had been increasing in the region, and both her sending agency and the State Department were urging all American aid workers to leave her country. Her response at that time, Please do not make me leave Afghanistan. It will kill me if I have to leave. She intended to give all her remaining days to providing medical relief and the gospel to Afghans. Okay, big finish. Ready? Listen to this. One day, a Taliban terrorist hit a gun under a fake arm bandage and entered the clinic where where she and her other Christians were providing medical care. He opened fire and killed many aid workers, including her. her uh, he later said uh, he had to. He had to kill them. In his words, and we quote, if they kept doing what they were doing, then our whole country would believe in Jesus. Yeah, Yep, that's where it got me. About 18 of you just went, ooh. That's why there are Americans who don't want to leave Afghanistan. That's why Biden and Psaki really do have to qualify their statement each time. There really are Christians from America and elsewhere who want to stay because they want their whole country to believe in Jesus. And Paul did the same. And the answer for why is because I have been crucified with Christ. I no longer live. The life I live in the body... I live by faith for the, for the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And, and I can now give myself for others. Family, I know it's hard. I know it's hard. I know it's hard to prioritize God's kingdom. I know, I know, I know, I know. So quit feeding your head human porn. If the news makes you mad and distracts you, turn it off. Well, who's going to save this country? You're going to vote the same whether you know every detail or not. Just take a breath and follow Jesus. Well, I've got to know what's going on. Why? Why? Because I've got to tell people. What? What are you going to tell people? What do you got to tell people that 110 years from now is going to matter? Is it possible that Satan has distracted us from the message of God with just good stuff. Is it possible that most of us wouldn't commit adultery and wouldn't lie or cheat or still, but most of us are still off message because we're not talking about Jesus. We're talking about vaccines and masks. Lord Jesus. None of us in this room are worried about somebody coming in and telling us that we have to be circumcised to be saved or that we need to run a marathon to be saved. That's not our worry, but I do think that's not even Satan's worry. I think think our big thing is just forgetting what our message is. So Lord, I pray that you take this word and these these words of Paul, these words of yours, and change us from the inside out. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Sorry I went long. Uh, Bible study will start in a few minutes. Have a wonderful Sunday afternoon.